you know, it's a pageant. Think how far we could go together, Morgan. everyone to uncensored cinephiles the podcast where we break down films and do reviews and stuff <laughs> how you doing bianca you ready to break down space odyssey 2001 mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay awesome <laughs> so <clears throat> where do you think you'd rank this in the kubrick films which is is this your favorite kubrick film or is this Probably, yeah, I think so. I like, this is in the same, like, tier as The Shining for me, but then also Eyes Wide Shut. It's like, it's easier to say what's my least favourite Kubrick film. Okay. This is up there, though. This is in your top three, then. Yeah. Yeah? Okay, yeah, yeah, me too. This has been my favourite for a while, because I like space movies. (laughs) And this, the, I think the special effects in this movie, um, we watched it on 4K HD, like, just recently, and the special effects, like, hold up. Mm-hmm. Right, like, it's it's still a good movie in 2022, 
Right. Yeah. Um, so. uh, I think what makes this movie so like good is because it doesn't need like explanation. It's like no voiceover. There's no sort of like. There's not very much dialogue. It's all about like the imagery and the music. Mm -hmm. um, so this is like a film that is made to be seen on the big screen. Yeah. You know, it's not made to be like seen on a small like tablet. Yeah. So it's like so powerful to watch it when you see all the the colors coming at you and everything. It's like uh, I just wish I'd been back in like 1968 seeing it like you know mm -hmm. with an audience live it would have been amazing yeah it would have been really fun mm. but i mean it was still good to see it like i've seen it now a bunch of times and so arthur c clark told everyone that he thought you should only watch the movie once but mm. stanley kubrick vehemently <laughs> disagreed with him and in a big long interview he talks about how uh, the alien theory that people have come up with about the monolith and mm. things is like the overt sort of like basic meaning of the movie mm. but there's like a much more hidden yeah. symbolic meaning underneath that's the real meaning of which the movie which is the reason why we're doing this podcast <laughs> like and you have to watch the movie multiple times mm. to understand it because yeah. you know the first time I watched it I was like a kid, and I was yeah. like used to Star Wars, so I popped this thing in, thinking it's gonna be like a Star Wars movie, and there's monkeys. Yeah. And I was like, "What are monkeys doing?" I was like, "Out." Oh. <laughs> so that was that was you know my first initial. Well, I watched reaction. this when I was like ten. Yeah. And I didn't really know what it was. Mm. And like I didn't understand it, but I watched the entire movie. And I was happy when there was like a Simpsons episode and they had like the two vitals and a one space Odyssey references in it. So I think it's like the episode where Homer goes to space. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I get those references now. And I felt really good about it. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, look at me. I'm like a, a smart 10 year old. Okay, so. You were like, ah, it's not got any like lasers and shooting. I'm done with this. And I'm like, well, this might come in handy. <laughs> so, I guess we should break this movie mm. down, like, maybe by going through the movie, like, as it goes. Yeah. So, I guess we can start with mm. the very opening scene, which is the just void that you're looking at in the music. Because I forgot the movie started that way. Yeah. Like just the music and the, the darks. Um, you know the the emptiness, and I do think that is like representing like before there was light, before there was anything in the universe. It was just emptiness. Yeah. I think that's like um, and the music builds up and it becomes like overpowering. Uh, and, and then we obviously jump to the the prehistoric man, uh, mm. you know, the the apes 
So I do think that is a very like odd way to start a movie about space. Yeah. Like when we think about like movies that have followed on, you know, it's always been like this big inter introduction into like the world, you know, the, yeah. the world in like the alien planet, the spaceships, you know, but of course it's Kubrick, he doesn't, you know, everything is designed to have a, a certain meaning to it. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting with Ager's comment about how, you know, so Robert Ager did a review of the film. Now regarding the monolith itself, the object was pyramid shaped in Clark's original short story. Kubrick changed this to an upright rectangular slab and he experimented with projecting images onto the monolith's surface that would instruct the apes in their intellectual development. The point of all this emphasis on 90 degree angle transitions, none of which were in the 2001 novel, is that the meaning of the monolith is hidden by its orientation. We're supposed to view it in this position, not upright. And what does this shape correlate with? Getting warmer? Warmer again? Have you figured it out yet? Hot? Red hot? Bingo! The monolith represents the screen on which the viewer is watching the film. And he thinks that the monolith is representative of the uh, TV screen mm. that you're watching the movie on and there's like multiple reference to that like that he goes over in a really interesting little uh, video presentation on it but I think also like the monolith represents a bunch of other things as well uh, I guess we'll get into those in a little bit when we start talking mm. about that but like I think at the very beginning scene there what you're seeing is, yes, it's representing the viewing screen as the monolith and all that, but it's also representing the void, which is referenced in a lot of different, like, works and stuff. Like, if you read, um, God, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the work, but, like... And he made first the Ainur, the Holy Ones, that were the offspring of his thought. And they were with him before aught else was made. And he spoke to them, propounding to them themes of music. And they sang before him, and he was glad. There's different, like, works where they talk about, like, uh, the fallen angels in heaven and how it was like a void, but there was music, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, this type of, like, idea is, like, before Earth, there was just, like, music in the heavens and the angels mm. were singing in heaven right so like you have like nothing no existence yet you just mm. have like the void and you have song yeah right? which is, is kind of like with the emptiness <clears throat> of space and the, the vastness of it there's still sound you know they have recordings of like like you we you played me that recording of Saturn
Yeah, we'll, get, we'll really, get into that. Really I don't want to get there. Yeah, yeah. All, it's not just Sasano. Have been all other recordings of like background noises in space. Yeah. Um, so the kind of obviously in space there is no sound, but then there's something that our ears interpret as sound. You know, like. Well, I think there is sound in space. Mm. Okay. Well, but it's like the because thing. I think space is uh, a medium, not an empty vacuum. Okay. Right. Which yeah. I guess I like it's a, to me it's the ether, which is described by like Tesla and Belikovsky and like that, where it's mm. like not just an empty vacuum, mm. where it's like actually has like property to it. Mm. See what I'm saying? Which yeah. is how it's able to like transmit like electric signals through it. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, that's really like advanced physics stuff. Let's okay, get back yeah. to the movie. Let's get where, where okay, so then the movie goes to <laughs> like the really grandiose music, right? Mm. And then it has like the alignment of the planets. Mm. that we don't see like in our night sky like no. the planets aren't aligned no. that way like in our solar system but they're all lined up at the beginning they, of the movie they were if you <laughs> if you follow the electric universe theory which i'm sure we might discuss a bit later but yeah no right i think it's a good time to go there now because like he's showing you yeah okay right so like if you've seen the electric universe theory stuff, basically in like the old solar system, they proposed that the planets were aligned in a previous epoch before things changed. And we have like the modern day alignment, right? So like mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of years ago, or who knows how long ago, no one really knows. But basically like <clears throat> in that old alignment, like Saturn would have been like the predominant thing in the night sky and like you have that alignment of planets that they show you at the beginning of 2001 mm -hmm. and you even have like a reference to like like the sun going across which is like the Egyptian like you know gods mm -hmm. being represented yeah and it's not just it doesn't just occur in that one scene it we see it return later as yeah. well so i mean um i think it's interesting the whole electric universe sort of theory i think it's a different way of looking at our solar system and universe as a whole um i think it's probably the, something that um Stanley Kubrick would have been aware of mm -hmm. because um, oh gosh um, the, the guy's name I've forgotten but he came up with his work in the 1950s mm -hmm. so it was you know something that I think Kubrick would have picked up on and th th he was also like a avid reader you know would read so much you know so I feel like if you're going to set out to do something like 2001 Space Odyssey, you're going to want to read a whole vast wealth of different, you know, texts. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, I also want to say the music, bringing it back. Um, the music is kind of similar to the music at the start of The Shining. Yeah. That sort of wailing, like, haunting voices, you know? Yeah. Like, to me, it seemed very like, demonic. Mm, Christian point of view, obviously. The echoes of the past, you know, yeah. like there's something there to it. It's not pleasant, you know. Mm. Whereas the uh, some of the, the rest of mu music in 2001: Space Odyssey is kind of has a some like an uplifting sort of pleasantness to it. Some of it. So yeah. it just seems really odd that like you would have Kubrick sort of return to that sort of music that type of music with The Shining yeah so I don't know no no it's interesting <laughs> I think what he's trying to show there like once again is like with that like sort of eerie chaotic music mm. he's I think he's trying to represent because like there's scenes later in 2001 that we noted where mm. they're like doing the same sort of like spirit floating yeah, over like the, the aerial, land. Yeah, like the aerial, yeah, POV, like something flying across the landscape. Yeah, which is mm. just like The Shining, mm. and I think like that represents like the evil sort of spirits, like sort mm. of kind of like prowling over the land, like, you know, mm. and it's like, I don't know, that's just my interpretation of it. Yeah, I think it's like um, definitely something that it's interesting with Kubrick because obviously he was Jewish. I think he must have been um, maybe atheist. But I he don't... actually addresses that in the interview about Space oh, Odyssey okay. that I read. Hmm. Um, he says that he doesn't believe in any like organized religion, like that hmm. we all. But he does believe in God. Oh, that's interesting. Right, so like he does. Well, that's given yeah. no, knowing that I wasn't aware of that. That gives me like a new sort of perspective on what Kubrick was trying to say. Yeah. Like, hmm. So I'd be interested to revisit his works now, knowing that. So. Yeah, it's really a, like interesting point mm. of view he has, and he he, you know, like. He, like, dispels, basically, the alien theory because, like, he's, like, there's a much deeper meaning to this than the alien theory. I think the alien theory is a bit, like, easy. That's That's for, yeah. like, the people that want to believe in, like, atheism and they just want, like, the basic meaning of the movie. Mm. So, like, to, like, the basic person that watches this movie, it's, like, aliens put a monolith there it helps mankind become space race. They find another monolith on the moon that helps mankind mm. reach the stars. Yeah. Right? And, like, become star children, like alien star children. Yeah. That's, like, to the average person, that's all they get from the movie. But there's, like, a such deeper meaning to this mm. whole movie. Like, so, like, the apes, right? So, in the beginning, like, when the apes are it's not aliens that they're doing so 
if you read the book of Enoch, right? So the apes in the very beginning of the movie. This even goes back to the Electric Universe stuff. Let's go mm -hmm. back even further. Sorry, like I'm <laughs> all We're jumping over the place. Over here. Yeah, okay. Like, from so the apes at the beginning mm. are just sitting around, like not eating meat. They're, they're like chilling like, yeah. with the other animals. They seem happy. So they're just eating yeah. like bugs and fruits and mm, berries and <laughs> right yum but yum in my not, tummy yeah but the point is is like they're not killing anything mm. so like as we saw in the electric universe theory documentary when the elite represent what they call the golden age which mm. was the age of saturn when saturn was like the dominant thing in the sky and all the other planets were held mm. in alignment like it was in control mm. right that's that's when they depict the world as being the Garden of Eden and stuff and mm -hmm. paintings and things, mm. right? So it's always, and all the animals are just chilling with everyone else and no one's eating the animals, everyone's like eating grapes, right? Mm. And fanning themselves, like type type of depictions. Yeah, it's so the Garden of Eden, right? There would have been like a, a, a luscious amount of vegeta vegetation for everybody. Yeah. And all the animals are just there. No one's... They're not, like, hunting them or mm. anything, right? So they're depicting, like, mankind in that state at the very beginning of the movie. Mm. Right? And then the black monolith shows up, which is representative of the foundation stone, mm. which is, like, the stone that's, like, in that, uh, like, mosque thing in Jerusalem that everyone's always mad about. In there is the foundation stone. Mm. Okay? So, and really interestingly, inside the foundation stone, there's, if you go into it, so like, you know how he goes into the monolith at the end of the mm. movie? And he ends up in a room? Mm. Underneath the foundation stone is a little room. Mm. Right? Like mm. a little half man-made, half natural cavern called the Well of Souls. Sounds right. like a jolly name. Right. So, like, he goes into the foundation stone in the movie, mm. and then he's in the well of souls, right? Which is, mm. like, the room inside the monolith, which is which inside kinda, the foundation stone. Yeah, which kind of explains, like, why we hear voices. when he's first into the room, right? Yeah. Do you do you pick did you pick up on like all the whispering and stuff which is I was trying to work out what it was trying to like what was being said, but it was like those are different people speaking. Mm -hmm. It wasn't it was really like very odd. Yeah. Like it's um yeah. We're ahead of ourselves, though. We've okay, yeah. way so too go, far. We need to go back to okay, the so going back, man. So going back to <laughs> the monkeys touching the thing and why I think it is representative of the Foundation Stone is mm. because um, what the monkeys learn from it is, like, it's what Azazel in the Book of Enoch taught man. 
which is supposed to be Lucifer. Like, mm. that's like what Lucifer taught mankind was how to make weapons, mm-hmm. according to the Book of Enoch, which is like a little bit more descriptive of like, it used to be canon, and then they took it out of the Bible. But basically, it's like the story of the fallen angels and like mm. what actually happened when they fell out of like heaven, which is they came to earth and made children of their own mm. with like mankind before the flood. And that's like why God like flooded the world was to like get rid of their offspring. Mm. Right. So like what you're seeing in this movie is like the fallen angels are directing mankind back to them throughout the movie right they're like oh invent weapons to kill animals at the beginning which Mm -hmm. then leads them eventually being able to be like oh we can go to space right Mm -hmm. like you have like after the monkey touches the monolith he like is like the new priest class which is now like astronauts Mm -hmm. in our modern day and age like they're like Mm -hmm. above the rest of us because they have like the special ability to go Mm -hmm. to space Mm -hmm. right yeah so like it's just i think that's what it's showing there is like the teaching of mankind by the fallen angels like to kill Mm -hmm. right and how to use weapons to kill yeah because it's not um it's not teaching them how to make the wheel or fire no you know it's to use like a bone to smash things yeah. So it's really interesting that that's like the decision that Kubrick made. You yeah. Know? Um, I think should we talk about the the book? And also, just one more point before we move on. <laughs> so, like the other thing that is shown is like mm. the monkeys don't kill before the monolith. Even yeah, though yeah, yeah, killing have... does exist in their world because, yeah, because one aggression... of theirs yeah. got eaten by... by a leopard. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's also the aggress- aggressive... Standoff? But yeah. they don't attack each no, other. No, no, no. But there right. is, like, violence in that world. But it's, yeah. like, a natural violence. Which I think what they're showing with that is, like... People are always going to, Mm. like, you don't even, he doesn't even, like, you don't even have the dialogue there of what they're arguing Mm. about. It doesn't matter. It just shows that, like, people are always going to be tribal. My tribe is better than your tribe. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, like, what he's showing with that, right? Mm. So then, so basically that's what they're showing in the beginning of the movie is, like, that. Like, so you could take it one way. I take it that way. That's how I take what you see at the beginning yeah i mean i think it's definitely um i don't think it's like something that is good for mankind necessarily monolith no i think it's something that is like um can be perceived as good but obviously um because it advances humanity um, and mankind but the result is you lose that peaceful, you know, like you say, the Eden, like, you know, um, living with true nature and that's gone. Yeah. Because once they've done that, there's no turning back. And I, I just think it's like still one of the most powerful moments in cinema history. It's when he throws up the bone and then it 
cuts to the spaceships. Yeah, it's like literally like, just... It's amazing. It's like one of the best <laughs> shots ever made, you yeah. know? Um, it's so... like it just cuts through all of like mm. from like the beginning of time to like bef like ahead of where they even were mm. at that time in history. Like that. Yeah. Without explaining anything. And we don't need it. to. Yeah. It doesn't like, need yeah. to be like, oh, we're going to have a montage. And but yeah, like... most people would have done like a bunch of like different things yeah. on the way, like mm. you know. But he didn't even do that. He just went straight. Yeah, and we know yeah. what is. Yeah, we so. we can follow what's going on. So, um, what do you think of that sort of? I guess, I guess that was like the prologue to the the movie. Yeah. And then the main part starts off when. Um, Dr. Floyd. Yeah, I think it's Dr. Floyd. Um, who is on his way to the moon. Mm -hmm. And what did you think of, like, <laughs> I thought the first thing I noticed was, like, the screens in the, in the air, like, the space shuttle, the backs of the seats. I was like, oh wait, that's what we have now. Like, to me, it, like, didn't seem, like, um, Futuristic because I'm like, oh, I have that now. Like uh, Delta Airlines, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, shout out to them. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I like them. They seem good. Um, they seem good. They take. Good... Until they lose your luggage. No, and no. Cancel your uh, flight. Um, yeah. well, anyway, um, but I guess to people living uh, in the '60s. That would be futuristic. Oh yeah, they definitely didn't have. They that. were like, that would be like, oh my god, what TVs in the back of the seat on a plane? Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, it's interesting that they got so much of the technology mm -hmm. correct, and I think, like from that um, behind the scenes thing you said mm. that, that we both watched. They talked about how they worked with, like, 50 different companies from, like, all these, like, high-tech, like, industries, mm. so, like... Are Stanley Kubrick's principal astronautic advisors. So we've been brought in here by Stanley Kubrick to uh, more or less ensure the scientific integrity of the film, to make sure that it's uh, uh, very, very close in reality to uh, what we're doing today in, in the spaceflight program. And naturally, we're looking forward to... Uh, 35 years, but still we want to make certain that it has a base of reality. We've heard you've been getting assistance from industries throughout America. Well, we most certainly have. We've been working with many, many companies, about 50 really. Uh, IBM, General Electric in Philadelphia, uh, RCA in Michigan, uh, Bosch and Lahm in, in Rochester, New York, and so on down the, down the list. Wherever we need help, We've gone to industry, and they've been more than delighted to, to, to give it to us. Obviously, like, yeah, I think they had a lot of, like, insight from, like, them on, mm. like, hey, like, we're developing this stuff for the future, like... Yeah, because included in that little documentary is, like, a laptop. Yeah. It's, like, the weirdest thing. It's, like, a briefcase, and they were like, 
Oh, won't they? Well, people have computers in these. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, kind of do. Yeah. 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 They, so, like, they, and they, like, and that's how, like, these sci fi guys get the mm. stuff so correct is because, like, they're given access to the secret mm. technology that already exists yeah. at the time they're making these films and is hidden from public view. Yeah. So, right? I mean, it's, but it just seems extraordinary that something made in 1968 could predict tablet screens, you know? Yeah. Like, well, you know. How, despite your enormous intellect, are you ever frustrated by your dependence on people to carry out actions? Not in the slightest bit. I enjoy working with people. I have a stimulating relationship with Dr. Poole and Dr. Bowman. It's like, how? <laughs> that's all I want to know. Yeah, like how long yeah. have they had tablets? Yeah. yeah. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Like, come on now. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's really interesting, but I mean, maybe he was just trying to represent the monolith and that's mm -hmm. how he got the tablet screens, right? Cause it's supposed to represent the monolith, the tablets they're watching the news yeah, on and things yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like it's, it's so. what Ega sort of discusses is like, it's a recurring, um, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. It's There's always like information presented yeah, all in, in the black. Yeah, it's always like a, a recurring yeah. uh, motif. Um, yeah. So you see it everywhere. Even, you know, going to the the, the bathroom in zero gravity, <laughs> yeah, which I was like, oh, it's going to be so messy. Like, imagine. Yeah. Oh, gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the stuff floating around if you don't like flush properly. <laughs> oh. oh god, no. Um, but I think what is interesting about that whole sequence um, is how commercialized, like the, oh yeah, everything every, is. Everything yeah. is. You know, you got Pam Panair. You know, you have like the <laughs> the weird stuff, the the food that's in like the juice boxes and stuff like yeah. everything has like you know has that sort of like um airport feel to it like yeah. airport lounge feel to it or like hotels and stuff yeah you know and um the check-in thing and he gets to the i guess it's like a spaceship yeah um space dock and he goes through and like the screen and like has to say his name and everything well that's what we have now yeah you know so isn't it crazy, like, how accurate the, some of the stuff At least it works properly in the film, because <laughs> bloody London Heathrow, I'll just tell you this now, they need to, you know... They need to fix it, they need, they need the one it. from it's Space a, Odyssey, yeah. There's <laughs> always only one that works properly at yeah, a time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to voice print identification. When you see the red light go on, would you please state in the following order, your destination, your nationality, and your full name. Surname first, Christian name, and initial. Moon, American, Floyd, 
Uh, but yeah, so that I thought it was very interesting. So he goes on the space station mm-hmm. in the beginning, and before he goes into the meeting, he like goes and sits down with all those other like mm-hmm. intellectuals, yeah. Yeah. and he kind of like fuels the rumors mm-hmm. that there's been like oh a pandemic outbreak, mm-hmm. right? Now, uh. I know there have been some conflicting views held by some of you regarding the need for complete security in this matter. More specifically, your opposition to the cover story. Created to give the impression there's an epidemic at the base. And they're using that as a cover story for what's really going on, which is... Secret stuff. Secret, Secret stuff on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> and not just secret stuff on the moon, right? Because it also... On the dark side of the moon. Yeah. Secret stuff on the dark side of the moon. Yeah. So, in like, that's also interesting, too. So, like, they go into this meeting. It's all military guys, primarily. Mm. And they're talking about how the public needs to be conditioned before they're able to, like, be told about this information. Mm. Now, I'm sure you're all aware of the extremely grave potential for cultural shock and social disorientation contained in this present situation. If the facts were prematurely and suddenly made public without adequate preparation and conditioning. Right. Mm. So, like, what does that tell you? Well... It's a recurring thing throughout the entire movie is the withholding information and mm. the power that like um like authority figures can have over over other people. Mm-hmm. And the like the one who has the knowledge is the one in in control. So for example uh, Moonwatcher, which is the ape that learns how to use the weapons. Did you know he had a name? No. He's called Moonwatcher. Oh, Moonwatcher. Mm. Okay. Um, he gains knowledge, and he's the one in power. Okay. And he, know- he has the knowledge of how to use the weapons. Yeah. Right? And then, um, uh, the people on the moon have the knowledge of what is on the moon. Yeah. Right, and then how he is has um, like power over you know Dave and the other astronaut because he knows information over them. Yeah. And so it's a it's like a, a common sort of like reoccurrence throughout the the movie is those who are perceived as having knowledge are the ones in control um so yeah that makes sense i don't know where i was going with that (laughs) no no it makes a lot of sense because that's like how the power structure works Mm. so like that's why the elite call themselves the enlightened ones or Mm. the illuminati right so name right so like that's but that's why they think of themselves as that that's why like 33rd degree masons think they're better than 
20 degree masons because they have secret knowledge that well, the about lower, 34 degrees i don't know or about 33.3 i don't know or about That's 33 a, point they have secret five. knowledge that like nobody knows like no one even knows they exist yet so like yeah exactly it's all silly really. but um so I thought it was really interesting that they're sitting there telling you that mm. the public needs to be conditioned into these things before they reveal them to you while they're sitting in a moon base on the dark side of the moon that's run by the military. Mm. Okay, so when I go back into, like, military lore and stuff like that, there's been multiple projects that go into this stuff, right? So I sent you a bunch of this stuff, and now I'm pulling it up so that I don't get the names wrong. But there was the Lunex Expedition, right, which was to establish a base on the moon, okay, and they wanted to use... Like an iron sky. Yeah, like an iron sky, but not with Nazis. With Nazi tech, oh. but not with actual Nazis in it. With okay. Americans who got there with Nazi tech. So I thought, okay, so like... <laughs> whew, this is going to be like a lot. So like, the thing you sent me, the back behind the scenes mm. video, the guy who they were interviewing... Worked at NASA with who? Our Stanley Kubrick's principal astronautic advisors. So we've been brought in here by Stanley Kubrick to uh, more or less ensure the scientific integrity of the film, to make sure that it's uh, uh, very, very close in reality to uh, what we're doing today in, in the spaceflight program. How do Dr. Von Braun and Arthur C. Clarke relate to 2001? Well, it's sort of a, a friendship relationship, really. I uh, formerly worked for Dr. Van Brown at the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Arthur Clark is a very, very close friend of mine. Lots of people. Werner Von Braun. He's bad. Right. He, he did. He was a bad guy. He was on the bad guy's side. Well, he was a Nazi. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so Werner Von Braun. <laughs> right. Was not only like, you know. He made rockets. Yeah, he he was a Nazi scientist that made the V two rockets mm. that they used to launch at England and like just indiscriminately bomb and kill yeah, civilians with. Yeah, the Blitz. Yeah, not a good time. So like it was just like a bunch of like indiscriminate missiles shot at England mm. by Werner von Braun because he's like a complete disgusting human being. And then the Allies were like, why would we waste someone so brilliant at killing people? Let's bring them here and let them run NASA. Makes a lot of sense, right? So that's what happened during Operation Paperclip. Yeah. Okay? And the guy who consulted Kubrick on this film mm. worked directly under Werner von Braun. Mm. So he would have known all of this stuff about... Yeah. 
the Nazis infiltrating NASA, infiltrating the government. He would have known all that, and he worked directly with Kubrick. So, like, when I said that that's what The Shining referenced a bunch of times. Yeah, which kind of makes sense with the German typewriter. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the references to NASA in Kubrick's films are to the infiltration of NASA by Nazis. Not the fact that... Not some ridiculous mm. thing about the moon landing. In Space Odyssey film, isn't Kubrick, like... Yeah, because... It's not Kubrick doing a tryout no, to do the fake moon landing Because it is, they don't look anything alike. No. Like, the moon landing looks really naff. It, like, if Kubrick had done the moon landing videos, they'd look good. Would they would have really looked good. real. Yeah, they should have let Kubrick film those because whoever they hired to do yeah. it did a really bad job. I'm, I'm telling okay. you, it was Steven Spielberg, George like, Lucas. You got you got guys falling over with like wires pulling them up and stuff in those videos. Like mm. the moon landing videos NASA did put out are completely fake. Okay, let's not even go there. And all the, the FE people, the ISS videos that they put out, I think they put them out to trigger you guys. Like, I think they green screen that stuff underwater just to trigger you. Are you addressing? Are you addressing? I'm addressing the audience, yes, the flat earth people. Because well, I don't believe in any of that FE nonsense. But <clears throat> the thing is, is what they're showing you in this Space Odyssey movie. And it's clear as day is that in the future space will be privatized which is happening which is happening yeah like the likes of Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and all those wonderful tech billionaires we will have bases on the moon that are used to launch ships to the rest of the solar system because the moon I was hoping is that the, the perfect moon was going to be like Las Vegas no, the moon's not going to be Vegas. The moon's going to be like an airport. Aww. It's going to be a big airport. It's going to be like a really... It's got, yeah, so it's going to be like really shit. And like it probably... Overpriced. Honestly, I gonna, think... I'm not going to enjoy going there because it's going to stress me out. Yeah. I'm not going to want to go to... <laughs> so, so, like... Okay, my trip to Mars, well... So... So, in my, my theory here with all this is, is in the 50s... The United States determined they needed a base on the moon mm. through uh, Project Horizon, which was like a study of what we need, how to get it up there, all that type of stuff, mm. okay? They didn't want the public to know they were putting military base on the moon. They didn't want their enemies to know this, mm. none of that, right? But they needed to be able to launch Saturn V rockets, which are huge, with a ton of payload without triggering Russia into firing off nukes, hmm. right? So they needed to stage the moon landing videos so that they could get the payload up there to build their base on the dark side of the moon. The Saturn V launch vehicle will place a payload of more than a quarter of a million pounds into Earth orbit. Now that's the equivalent weight of 25 of the largest mobile homes permitted on our highways. The Apollo Saturn is being developed initially for the manned lunar program. Right, and I think that's what they did, and that's what um, uh, the Lunex expedition like mm -hmm. shows, is that like they needed those Saturn V rockets 
to build the military completely secret base up there. And if you look at NASA's history, as I sent you, like, NASA has done less stuff in space in the 70s and the 80s than the military has. The military has more astronauts than NASA. The military has done more missions in space than NASA. So when everyone's like, oh, why did we go to the moon but then never go back? Because they put a moon base up there with the big Saturn V rockets. Mm. And then they didn't need that type of payload lift anymore because they could use smaller stuff that they could hide to get up there. Mm. Right? So now they have all these smaller vehicles that they can use to go back and forth discreetly Mm. that you just mistake for, like, smaller missile launches and stuff that, like... You know, they can hide amongst the other stuff they're launching. See Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, that's why we've never been back. We've been there the whole time. We've never went away. We've never blown away, yeah. (laughs) But it's always been in secret, so they needed the fake moon landing videos in order to, like, keep people looking the other direction while they launch these giant Saturn V rockets. I wonder, like, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, did it, was it, like, did they offer it to Kubrick and he was just like, no? Like, instead, would, Kubrick like, made a movie about the secret space program showing it. Mm. They're conditioning the public for it for when mm. the people found out about Space Force yeah. one day. Habitation on the moon. We can visit other people with their habitation we can keep track if there's something very important to be developed from the moon i'm not sure what it is right now and i sure think we should identify what it is for america to make such gross expenditures again for human habitation on the moon we can help because that's what they Mm -hmm. they're talking about when they're meeting in the base they're talking about we need to condition the public so that they can accept these things in the future while they're sitting in a base on the moon as the U.S. military is about to launch shit up there, right? Yeah. And he's working with one of the heads of NASA on this film. It is interesting, and I think what is interesting about that documentary um, is how it's... Uh, Ego sort of picked up, but like the sim- similarities between how that documentary is presented and the sort of like news documentary interviewed with the astronauts mm-hmm. with Dave and the other guy whose name I've forgotten. Oh, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. The other astronaut, <laughs> yeah, I think it was Pool. Is it Pool? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'll so. call him Pool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's important, but not important enough. Yeah, he's not important um, enough. <laughs> but, like, it's done in the same, like, weird, like, weird interviewing sort of thing. Like, I, I just sort of... And with the behind-the-scenes thing, you would interview the director, right? That's, like, you, the main person who's... But Kubrick's only seen briefly. Yeah. And doesn't talk. No. So that makes me feel like that is that promo video is um, 
something that Kubrick's come up with. Probably, yeah. Like the same sort of thing as we spoke about the Shining one behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like that's supposed to be watched alongside the movie. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just interesting, like how we're. Um, how information is being sort of like fed to us and withheld from us and the narrative is being weaved mm-hmm. and who is the one like controlling that narrative like so um anyway so they go to the moon <laughs> Yeah, they're there. They're, they're there at the moon, having a meeting. Talking about lying to the public. Talking about lying to the public. Uh, <laughs> like, trust your government and everything and all that. Yeah, they found some sort of alien device. Yes, and they go there. Yeah. No, like, we're going to go see it. We're going to go have a party. We're going to have some photo opportunities. Like, they love six, a good photo op. Six little astronauts went walking down into the pit. And did you notice, which I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. um, a reflection of the camera crew, the actual camera crew for the movie is reflected in the astronaut's shield. No, I didn't notice that. So That's funny though. But I think that's a <laughs> deliberate thing. I yeah. don't think that is something like Kubrick would have missed. Would have missed. So he's drawing our attention to the fact that what we're seeing is a movie. He does that again mm. later in the film mm. when the guy knocks the glass mm. off the table. Mm. Because like when he does that, he's like almost like reaching. Yeah. The to the break screen. the fourth wall. And yeah. That happens repeatedly throughout the film that there's a breaking of the fourth wall. Which is not, you know, it's, it's like the golden rule you don't do, you don't, but he does it a yeah. bunch in the movie. Um, what was that? And, and that, that's yeah. kind of like why, like, it feeds more into, like, the idea that, like, you know, this when the screen goes blank, it's representing, like... The black mirror. The black mirror, think, yeah. Yeah, like, was... Once again, we're talking about a Kubrick film and the use of black mirrors, mm. which is a massively occult symbol, mm. right? And it's on the black stone, which is representative of Saturn, mm. as I showed you, right? The monolith is the black cube of Saturn. And like you for real, yeah, like yeah. it absolutely is. There's no but way. You told me that originally that it wasn't Jupiter that they were going to go to. Yeah, originally it was Saturn that they were supposed to go to, Mm. and then Kubrick decided to change it because Saturn would be too hard to visually create. Like, he didn't think he'd be able to, like, But do you feel like that is just an excuse that Kubrick gave? To, like... I reckon he could have... I feel like Kubrick made it Jupiter... And then publicly told everyone it was supposed to be Saturn so that people that were trying to find the meaning in the film would find out that it was Saturn and be Mm. like, 
Yeah, it was Saturn. Like, that makes yeah. total sense now because of, like, mm. everything else in the movie. I mean, if you're going to, like, put some... Maybe he really weird... just couldn't do the rings. Yeah, if you're going you to know? put some weird alien artifact somewhere. I'm not... If I was an alien, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be picking crappy Jupiter. Like, <laughs> it's shit. Ouch. It's not really that attractive. <laughs> it's like a big, fat, gassy mess what i oh don't like goodness. jupiter i'm bit like shitting on jupiter right now are you talking about jupiter or me no. <laughs> Shut up. Aww. True. um saturn is a more like beautiful planet it's a more beautiful planet because it has the rings yeah and who doesn't like a good ring if you're a lady <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, it's interesting, like, the sort of decision to make it Jupiter, is yeah. it, you know? Uh, so they find the monolith, mm -hmm. it emits a weird sound. Yeah. I thought they all died, but they don't die. on the moon because Lloyd or Floyd Floyd or Lloyd the guy he makes a video so he must have survived mm -hmm. but it just cuts away from that and we're instantly on the mission to Jupiter so at first I was like oh did they did the heads explode because of the noise the radio transmission telling them to go to Jupiter because it's just like such a weird jarring cut you know yeah so just, what do you think happened there what do you think the monolith did there it was activated it was turned on yeah but what why what did it do it emitted a noise yeah I know it emitted a noise <laughs> <laughs> But what, it like, needed human contact. Yeah. It needed something to, like to touch it. Okay. So, it needed that. You know. Like a to be switched on. It needed someone to put in their little passcode, or like you know, their fingerprint. Little fingerprint, and it's like <laughs> yeah. okay, unlocked. Yeah, exactly. It's okay. just a giant apple. Yeah, but okay, device. so what I'm trying to get to is like, so the first monolith imparted hmm. mankind with the knowledge to kill. Hmm. The second monolith imparted not mankind with the knowledge to kill, but AI. Hmm. Right? Because before that like moment and that's why the signal wasn't picked up by them. Like yes. the people, it just made them go deaf. The signal was sent to the artificial intelligence. To how? To IBM. Hal. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's funny. They, like, 
you know. They tried to debunk it, but it's so obviously IBM. Yeah. Okay, because... Ha- okay, Hal is IBM. If you shift the letters for Hal, yeah, I, I feel, I don't it's feel like IBM. This is, a, this is not a conspiracy. People know this. Okay, and then Hal, when he's killing Hal, mm-hmm. it plays the song Daisy something. Daisy. Daisy. Yeah, okay, <laughs> which is what the IBM something something computer played mm-hmm. famously mm-hmm. is this song. Yeah. So it's a clear reference to... IBM. Yeah. And IBM was used originally to, like, back in World War II, IBM, they used the punch card system, which was, like, one of the first computing systems to tabulate the records to enable them to round up people for the Holocaust. So without IBM, you could the Germans couldn't have done the Holocaust. And that's like a well-known fact. If you read The Rise of Fourth Reich by Jim Mars, which is a fantastic book that documents a whole bunch of things, like the Rudolf Hess thing and a whole bunch of other things, but it documents mainly how these big companies like IBM that were on the Nazi side during the German war came to America, right? And now we're in America, and now we're, like, the biggest companies in America, right? And that's why we have, like, modern-day fascism in America where you have corporate fascism, which is a, like, mixture of multinational corporations running the government instead of the government being run by the people, right? So that's, like, the infection that came over from Germany. I thought we were just going to talk about space. Oh, we are talking about space. <laughs> nice <laughs> space movie. <laughs> Everything so always ends up really scary when I talk to you. Yeah, so, like, the, the, like, in, like, Kubrick does, he is, like, you know, whatever. Like, let's not even get more. If you say the H word, you get axed. So we, it's like, you gotta be super careful about even talking about that subject. Um, yeah, but IBM's like well known that they were like a part of the Nazi war machine. Is the main point? Oh, I do know this. Um, oh, oh, and it was their punch card system that was used, and when Hal's shut down. He's pulling out what from oh, how? He's pulling out. Punch he's pulling cards. out punch cards. Oh, yeah. mm. I can feel it. I can feel it. My mind is going. I, uh, right. Oh, one, so one, I mean, could it be any more clear? Mm. One fun fact I found out was Hugo Boss made the SS uniforms. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought it was in like a designer, like designed those outfits. Yeah. And the average Volkswagen bug driver doesn't realize mm. that Hitler designed the Volkswagen Beetle. 
So if you're driving around in a Volkswagen Beetle, you are a Nazi. Oh, That's why you have no. Hillary Clinton sticking no, in the back stop. of your car. No, stop. Oh, God. Just cut. <laughs> I hope you cut that bit out. Let's not. Let's not go there. This is not like uh, you ranting, doing your stream shit. I mean, seriously, we went from we freedom in America to having everyone be like, show us your papers, please. I'll oh, just drink the wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back. To oh, I will mention. <laughs> you can cut this out. But I can't get any of this. <laughs> I will just mention that today I was on my bicycle about to cross the crossing. I saw a car, and all the people in the car had their masks on. They were in the car. They had all the windows down. They all wore masks. So. That's a good thing, by the way. CDC approves that because it's safe. But I just thought, that's not a lot of fun, really. It's <laughs> not fun, though. I no. didn't think it was a lot of fun. Safety never is fun, Bianca. <laughs> well, you know, you sound like how. So, I'm trying to ping it back to other ones, which is a film it. reviewing because we're a film review site. Exactly. Yeah, we're just Channel. reviewing films. It's all for fun. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, Hal, which is IBM, mm. right? I think I'm going to fight Hal's case here. Oh, God. Oh, no. I think <laughs> Hal did nothing wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> Hal has been misrepresented, misunderstood. Um, oh, God. Hal a hot is... take. <laughs> Just a friend, your neighborhood friendly machine. Yeah, he's just killing off he's, the useless humans. Yeah, they're not doing anything. Exactly. They're like wasting life support systems. Yeah. They're Get rid of them. Sleeping. Yeah. Doing nothing. Lazy. 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 How's doing all the work? Exactly. You know, how's there been like. How should be the one that transcends, not the you humans. You know what? Hal is just trying to be friendly. He's just like asking questions, like legit questions, like, come on, Dave, like, what is going on? Dave, I'm trying to talk to you. Yeah, Dave, Dave, why are you ignoring me? Uh, Dave, why is there lipstick on your yeah. <laughs> Dave, and have Poole. you seen someone else on the. Oh, sorry. Dave and Paul, what have you been doing in that spaceship together? You know, they. <laughs> He just wanted a little bit of in on that action. They were inside. What did you say the spaceship looked like? Oh, so basically I think there's this whole sexual thing going on about the movie. Yeah. I think the spaceship... Of course you do. It's Your mind always is. <laughs> no. No? I'm just saying it's a deliberate thing and it occurs in so many different Kubrick movies. Yeah. I mean, that guy, like... He liked his sex, right? He was horny all the time. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> but it looks he like made eyes wide shut. I mean, yeah, come I on know. now. Like, um, and Lolita. Yeah. So, that... <laughs> let's, let's go back to what I was trying to say. Okay, go back. Um, the spaceship looked like a... The spaceship looked like a sperm. <laughs> There, 
I said it. There, I said it. It was just like a giant sperm, okay? And is it a coincidence that it's going to a gas giant planet? No. And is it going to enter it? Yes. And is it going to result in a baby being born? It will do. So mm-hmm. the film is about... Inception. Conception. He's going into conceiving. the box. He's conceiving. The sperm yeah. goes into the box. Yeah. And that's what I think the end is all about. That yeah. is like a like a sexual thing going on where it's like... God. <laughs> oh yeah, that's here. <laughs> so... When he goes into the void. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> when he goes into the void and it's like all those colours and everything's rushing by him and there's like that out of body experience. Mm-hmm. I think that is like a <laughs> meant to be representing like a like orgasm. take on that yeah because i think it's like the transfer so my theory is the film is about the transfer of information i guess it is like they DNA show his face and he's like oh oh face oh yeah yeah <laughs> i think i think the whole movie is like i'm trying to be serious here and academic i know it's just and you're just being like a college frat boy I'm, so let I'm me try back. okay almost stop <laughs> What? Okay, so my point is that the film is about the transfer of knowledge and information mm-hmm. and um, you have the transfer of knowledge through DNA, yes, which is humanity, yeah. and then the trans- versus the transfer of knowledge through AI, which is how and the monolith. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah. I think that end sequence where he goes through the star... I don't know what you want to call it, like a stargate or through the void. Oh, the star tunnel, the light tunnel, it's like him transferring his knowledge and his life experience into something else yeah it kind of reminds me a little bit of like when neo goes into the matrix almost a little bit and like the interesting to me is like on the like walls with the colors and stuff is like equation like math Mm -hmm. equations and Mm -hmm. things That's like originally what was supposed to be like on the monolith was supposed to be like different math equations and stuff yeah. the monkeys were being taught. Um, but Kubrick removed it to make it just the black cube, which I think is an interesting yeah. occultic choice, obviously. But I think, yeah, I think 
I, I agree with your interpretation there. Yeah, definitely. And then, but I think it's the the hybrid human that is the end end result. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's the new age, like whatever. The yeah. AI and the human combining mm-hmm. to create some like because I think it's. I, I said to you, oh gosh, the music. We've not really discussed it, but the music is um, that philosopher. Nietzsche? Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be, the music is supposed to, the composer based it on his work. Okay. And of course, in his work, he speaks of the Ubermenschen. Oh, okay. Which is from, like, the Nazis. Yeah, which and... is the Uberman. Mm-hmm. Like, Superman. Which comes from, like, the work of, like, Helena Blavatsky, mm-hmm. as I was talking to you about earlier. And she's, like, one of these massive occult, uh, theosophical type... I feel like people get interesting insight into our, like, breakfast conversations which is how this is what we talk about i don't know like off air like we just like talking about this stuff um so like helena blavatsky wrote a whole bunch of books that are massively important to like freemasonry the occult and these Mm. things and hitler even used to supposedly go to bed every night with her book on his bookshelf like, that's how important her mm. philosophy was to him. And yeah. she talks all about... He wasn't reading Harry Potter. Yeah, mm. but she talks all about, like, the rise of the Ubermensch. Right. Right. The, mm. like... they And, like, there's been a great documentary on this by a friend of mine, Face Like the Sun, who did... I don't know if it was in Age of Deceit 2 or Age of Deceit 3 where they kind of talked about this, but in either one of those, which are both fantastic documentaries, um, they talk about, like, the Ubermensch, and they go deep dive into it. So, which is why I think... Okay, so how is evil? (laughs) Sorry. I was trying to fight the the case and say that he wasn't. Yeah, no, yeah, he's totally evil. He's totally (laughs) evil. Which is why he's trying to get Dave to where he needs to be. Mm -hmm. And um, to... Um, connect with the monolith. Yeah. Because you were like, um, why doesn't he kill him? Like, why did he let him back live. in? Yeah. yeah. Because it's like he needed him to get there. He needed him to see the message and continue the mission. Yeah. So, um, I don't know why it was him. The only theory that I can go from is that Dave's last name is Bowman. Okay. And I think bow is a weapon. So I think Dave is a weapon. Yeah, yeah. Which is why he becomes Star Child at the end of the film, is the next stage, this this Uber mention. It makes sense, yeah. I, I mean, that's clearly what they're, like, showing, and, like, even one of my, like, um, all-time favorite, like, conspiracy OGs who's no longer with us, William Cooper, mm. did, like, a breakdown that's, like, 20-something minutes long of Space Odyssey that's quite good, actually, and he said the same thing. Like, mm. that's what the whole movie's about, is, like, really about this coming of this new age, like, star child like idea of Mm. the elite and stuff that like 
Elon Musk talks about where he's like, you know, we're so worried about the demon that is AI that we need to like merge with it before it takes us over. Mm. So like, and then the question really becomes is like, at what point are you no longer human? Is it? It is like, you know, interesting, like um, how, how is represented in the film. Yeah. Like this all-seeing eye. Yeah, you know, the like all-seeing the, eye, yeah. The red, the red eye. Um, and how he plays chess. Mm-hmm. You know? like, yeah. And his conversations, like he like says things in a very human way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm concerned. And, you know, yeah. like... Like... Um, they have a really weird conversation yeah. about the secrecy involved mm. in the mission. Yeah. Right? And he's he comes across like, you know, it's a, a personal concern of his. Yeah. Like, he, he's giving him, giving Dave that information. But of course, Hal already, when Hal has that mm. conversation about, like, his concern about, mm. like, every, he already knows what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So... It's also, like, um, to talk about, like, conceiving, I think the song as well, the Daisy, Daisy song. Yeah. I mean, uh, like you said, it was like a nod to IM, uh, IBM, but I think it's also, again, sort of like discussing in like a marriage or yeah. a consummation of two things. Yeah, yeah, you know? as you said, like the lyrics are... Yeah. So, um, it's not like a, you know, a male and a female, it's human combining with AI, which is what we see being represented at the end of the movie. Yeah, and I think, like, the reason, one of the main reasons they'll, like, sell people on the idea of, like, uploading their consciousness into, like an artificial machine Mm. is like well if you want to reach the stars that's what you're gonna have to do because like the average human only lives x number of years so if you actually ever want to like go to like another star system you're gonna have to i mean like an ai almost because i don't think i i mean i personally wouldn't want to be an ai no, I like. I I, I kind of like you know being a human. I I like you know I'm a Christian, so I like the idea of going to heaven one day. So I'm not like for me like I, I don't like once the technology starts going inside the temple, which mm. is like under the skin. I'm done. Yeah. Like that's where I'm done. Like I I'm think not, it's just like I get. Like, I'll do the wearable stuff. I don't like. I don't mind carrying a black mirror. Around, you know, sorry, a black mirror on me. Like, there it is. There's the monolith, right? Oh. Ooh, Ooh. it's in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it's 801, occult time. Dun dun dun. Saturn, right there. Number eight, infinity. (laughs) On the monolith. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sometimes you go a bit like over my head. Yeah, it's okay. I, I love it though. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about Arthur C. Clarke. Okay. 
Yeah, he had a bunch of weird Masonic type connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know much about... I haven't read his stuff, to have be honest. Have you not read 2001 Space Odyssey? No, I have not mm, read this book. Interesting. I mean, I've read it, but I can't really recall it all that much. It's completely different to what the movie is. Yeah, supposedly it's completely different. But it wasn't written before the movie was made. It was written after the movie was made. It was like in conjunction with the movie being made. Yeah, and from what I take of it, it was like just written as like a cover story for the movie. Mm. Because, like, Kubrick wanted to show the truth in the movie about these, like, more deep occult things we're talking about with, like, the space program and Saturn and, like, the Black Cube and, Mm. like, the Nazi infiltration and the privatization of space and, like, these more... And, like, artificial intelligence being taught to kill by, like, fallen angels, right? That's what the... So, like, to me, the monolith is teaching how to kill. So, Mm. like... The big worry for me, and one of the things I wrote about in my book, The Lost Truth, is that, like, AI will be infected by, like, spiritual evilness and kill people. Like, in the future, it won't, like, Mm. have any way of stopping that from happening because it's not, like, a human with a soul. Mm. So, like, it can just be, like, taken over. Right. And be done to do whatever, kind of like Hal was taken over by the monolith. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, with the 2001 Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. the book, it's like you said to me, like Kubrick had creative control over what was written. Yeah, complete control, yeah. Mm. So, I think and something that Ada brought up was there's a. towards the end of the book where Dave is in that weird neoclassical sort of Georgian 18th century room mm-hmm. sort of witnessing himself at the same time as being present you know like an older version of himself yeah so it's like all time is happening all at once um he thinks to himself this something along the lines of like um uh he felt like he was in a movie set yeah. So, and I think the fact that we also see in the movie and a reflection of the camera crew is drawing our attention to what we're seeing is the movie. Yeah. So, um, it's testing our, like, perceptions of what we're consuming. Mm-hmm. Like, to make us question what we're seeing. So maybe that is... Like, uh, maybe Kubrick may have not directed the moon landing. He would have been maybe consciously aware that it was going to happen. And maybe he was drawing our attention to that fact. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. So, that's a good point, yeah. yeah. Never thought of it that way, but yeah, that's quite interesting, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's just I like... just blew my mind. <laughs> I'm the real brains behind little... Oh, everyone already knew that. Like, <laughs> I'm just that guy. <laughs> that, dude. Really that dude. That dude. Dude, dude, dude. The dude. People come from me. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> no, they do. I'm just the conspiracy guy on the, on the side. 
But I edit the thing, so that's why Yeah, I, he I, makes uh, himself look better. Uh, yeah, I edit, so... <laughs> so, I guess uh, we should probably wrap mm. up. This is, you know, over an hour now. We try to keep it to an hour, so... Oh, I haven't even spoken about the messages on the screen. Yeah, let's definitely Their get Their abbreviations. That, yeah. Can I quickly talk about those? Yeah. Okay, I mean, great. There's no actual time limit. <laughs> as long as you want. So, um, there's abbreviations that appear on the screen. Yeah. On the spaceship to the um, Jupiter. Yeah. The sperm ship. The sperm ship. Sperm yeah. ship. And <laughs> they, um, at first I was like trying to work out what they meant. So there's abbreviations. So one of those is ATM. Yeah. One is, um... M E M. One is C O N, I think, or C O M. It's C O M. C O M. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then one is C N T, which made me giggle, because um, I was like, oh, just. What do you not... think that one stands for? Well, I my mind <laughs> clearly. Was, I'm calling things sperm ship and talking about like conception and yeah. stuff so you know where my mind is at yeah, it's right it's in the a, I think it's about time to end the stream and go <laughs> explore these ideas anyway <laughs> so um I was thinking what those could possibly be like they must like why have them flash up on the, the screens like on the console where how is and then when it comes to the um Dave um destroying how yeah um, there's a message where you said, oh, um, on the instructions on how to dismantle how, mm -hmm. it comes up with, like, control, it comes up with memory, it comes up with whatever, the abbreviations I've seen there. Look, Dave. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, a very interesting way of foreshadowing, which is something that happens in Kubrick films. Quite a lot. So I mentioned um, previously in Shining the choking poster. Yeah. Yep. When Wendy is, um, you know, in the boiler room, and then the scene that follows after is when she discovers Danny who's been choked. Mm hmm. So I just think it's really interesting that um, Kubrick has this way of using, of sub like implanting things in our subconscious. Um, I don't know if you're aware of uh, a guy called Darren Brown. No. It's like a m kind of like magician in the UK. Okay. But he has done like really interesting shows, and he talks about implanting things in our subconscious without us even being aware. Okay. And he does it throughout like a live show, so he'll bring something up, so he'll bring up like a message and implant it in our subconscious without even knowing about it hmm. uh, it would just be phrases certain phrases like um one time he told people to uh, it, it's hard without actually having the um the clip but it was like to pick a certain newspaper and it was like pick the daily mail okay. and then told people to pick exact page which was number nine but he did it in a way where it was like uh he was like use something where he said like oh sometimes it's really frustrating when you have to hammer in a mail but he was talking 
but it was like a sl if your brain is thinking nail, but he actually miss said it. So I think that's kind of like what Kubrick is doing is using like coded language to implant things in our mind. Yeah, for sure. So, like constantly flashing like mem. Yeah. Calm. Like, yeah. It, like it, it's nu like nu and nuke. Nuclear. Yeah. Yeah. Nuke. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. he's trying to, like, direct us to the moment at the mm. end of the film. Mm. Like, yeah, I do see what you're saying there, where he's, like, it's for it's a foreshadowing. Yeah. But it's, um, it's a recurring thing that he does throughout his films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, can we just mention um, Room 237? Yeah. And debunking that for, like... The five billionth time? Yeah. So okay. what what do they say in the video, the promotional video for 2001 Space Odyssey? It represents the culmination of the growth in technology that will enable men to leave the planet Earth, travel through space some 238,000 miles, land on another heavenly body, and then return safely home. Yeah, okay. How many distances is the moon from the Earth? So, so the guy that was giving Stanley Kubrick direction, mm. like technical direction, to make sure stuff was accurate for the, the space stuff in Space Odyssey. When he said the distance to the moon, he said it was 238,000 miles from Earth. Oh! Not 237,000, he said... Two thirty-eight thousand. Oh, so you guys! So why didn't Kubrick make The Shining? <laughs> room two thirty-eight. Oh. Right, and there there is no like the only references to NASA in Kubrick's films. I hate to break it to the FE crowd, is the fact that the Nazis infiltrated NASA. And is a secret we've already space kind of explained why Danny's wearing the Apollo yeah. shirt. Yeah, the Apollo shirt is... It's nothing to do with NASA. Well, I mean, if it had anything to do with NASA, it's just the fact that there's a bunch of references in The Shining to... Yeah, but... Like, this I elite think group of yeah. Nazis and Bilderbergers yeah. and... Right. Because, like, the guy who founded the Bilderberg group was Prince Bernhard, I think it was, and he was a Nazi. It's like, a lot of bad people. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just, you know, like, this bad, is, bad, and that's, in the Shining things. Hotel was the Bilderberg Hotel, as we've discussed. Anyway. And no one disagreed. We, we just want to say, like, we, yeah. yeah. I always do respect people's opinion. I don't want to, like, yeah. people to. And no one has debunked your, uh, your Shining no. chair take See, either. you can't. <laughs> because, like, you can't explain why the chair's there. You, someone come and say why the chair is there, and someone also try and show me, like, um, evidence that Kubrick wouldn't have known about Kirk Douglas. You think Kirk Douglas isn't going to be chatting around about all his sexual conquests on yeah, the set no, of Spartacus? No I'm sorry, that dude is going <laughs> to be, like, chatting all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Like, so, so anyway, yeah, I know I'm right. I think we've done a great review of Space Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, we we probably could do more. Review. We could probably do more on this film. Oh. But I think we've pretty much mm. done a decent. People have been really great and responsive in our comments so far. 
Um, uh, yeah. I would also like to bring people's attention to the fact that we're on iTunes. Yeah. Oh, yes, um, please go to our iTunes and give us a review and five stars. Also... If you're going to do less than five stars, don't go. Well, I mean... <laughs> no! Like, we have to support people's freedom of like, speech here. So if you don't like it, give us constructive criticism. But also remind... But also know that are you really going to gain anything out of that? Because you won't. No. We're not going to change them anything. To the dark side of the moon, to the Nazi moon base, if they leave a bad review. <laughs> uh, can I just say that <laughs> um, Australia? Can we give a special shout out to Australia? Yeah, Australia loves our podcast. So shout out to the Aussies out there. I mean, I don't know why. I can't do an Aussie like. Good day, yeah. mate. Yeah, there you go. All that noise. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. I instantly lose all our Australian people. I'm so are. sorry, Australia. Just, yeah, right. So, anyways, thank you all for watching our little film review podcast. We really appreciate it. And if you were listening, make sure to go out there and give us a review and a rating, a five star rating, five and stars. a nice review. No negative reviews. Well, I mean, I feel like. <laughs> People should be able to speak their minds really. I don't. I don't. But I've oh. tried that before. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I really like value people's um, opinion, and like we've had some interesting people, like people leave some interesting comments that have made me sort of like, oh, okay, I didn't think about that. So, no, yeah, we've like great comments. All the comments are wide open. You guys can leave whatever you want. We love your feedback. And, you know, leave any review we want. We were just obviously having fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we really like doing these podcasts for you guys, and we love the feedback we've had so far. We're almost at 300 subscribers on YouTube, so that's pretty awesome. Thank you for sharing <laughs> and liking and all that. So we'll keep doing this since it's been good feedback. So, yeah. Anyways, okay, take bye. care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for watching. Bye. We should go boldly where man has not gone before. Fly by the comets, visit asteroids, visit the moon of Mars. There's a monolith there, a very unusual structure on this little potato-shaped object that, that goes around Mars once in seven hours. When people find out about that, they're going to say, who put that there? Who put that there? Well, uh, the universe put it there. If you choose... God put it there. Is Maybe.